You're going to showboat, knock down the shot. For what his value is, doesn't equate to winning basketball. When you're talking about the greatest of greats, that's what you have to do. You have to nitpick. We'll see you in the playoffs. We'll see you in the playoffs. Welcome, everybody, to the TM Up podcast. I am Jace Eustace, joined, as always, by Jarrett Huff. Jared's here in a new location, though. How you doing, my man? Um, I'm good. I'm finally getting settled in. Uh, it's been a crazy past week, uh, adjusting to moving across yeah. the country for the first time in my life. So, um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm loving it down here. I was, it was 80 degrees out yesterday in November, and I was in a pool. So I cannot complain whatsoever. Man, I'm not like you, man. I love the fall. I love the winter. I'm a winter guy. I love the hoodies. I love the sweatshirt, sweatpants. That's just what I am, dude. I, I couldn't do it down there, but I give you credit. But there are a lot of things to get into. We are just a couple weeks now into the NBA season, and pretty much all anybody's going to talk about or that they are talking about right now is the topic we're going to start with, and that is Kyrie Irving. So Kyrie, who's been the subject of controversy, has now seemingly upped the ante, uh, tweeted out a movie that contains false information and anti-Semitic ideals. Kyrie met with members of the Anti-Defamation League, where he pledged to donate $500,000. In the latest developments, the Anti-Defamation League has announced they're refusing Kyrie's donation after he refused to offer a legitimate apology for his actions. The Nets also announced on Thursday that Kyrie will be suspended without pay for a minimum of five games. But this could all be extended further depending on his upcoming meetings with owner Joe Sy and commissioner Adam Silver. So Jared, it's a lot to get into, but what do you make of this situation and what should the Nets do with Kyrie at this point? Um, It's just a concerning growing trend uh, that's going on in America where you're starting to see a lot of anti-Semitism. And a lot of this has been pushed to the forefront by people that we've looked up to for years over a decade i mean it starts with kanye west um who's basically been dropped and canceled by everything like adidas dropped him oh yeah gap dropped him basically anyone he's associated with has dropped him now when it comes to kyrie irving kyrie irving's probably been a top 10 most popular player in the nba if not more so since about his rookie season so we've been going on for having kyrie in the league for over a decade and because he's come up in um one of the uh as a star for one of the younger generations probably like i would consider our generation and the generation below um our kyrie's a pretty popular player absolutely and he has one of the largest social media followings of any basketball player out there. So these ideals that he's sharing recklessly, it's going out to a large audience that, and from what I've seen on social media, a lot of people are swayed by his words. A lot of people are defending him and it's really concerning. Like this is the kind of damage being irresponsible with your following can do because now you've divided so many people and you're putting out false ideals to so many people and it's just harmful to a community that is completely innocent and any of the falsehoods that he's pushing out they're just not true and the press conference yesterday was super concerning because that was scary he didn't seem apologetic for anything any of it he's it's clear he has a big problem with his ego because he, he didn't walk anything back i mean the adl is not accepting $500,000. You have to do something pretty messed up or be like yeah. kind of a lunatic to not for someone not to want to accept $500,000 from you. Um, 
the NBA didn't do enough in the beginning. Um, I'm glad the Nets finally stepped up and like, all right, we're spending him at least five games. Personally, I think I don't think you should play again this season. Um, because to me, when it comes to racism and intolerance, there's no place for it. I don't care if because I've seen people like, well, it wasn't as bad as Trump or something. Like, yeah, I I don't want to mean to get too political, but yeah, to me personally, Trump probably one of the worst people out there. But just because what Kyrie or what Kanye or what anyone else has said or done isn't as bad as what the other person did, it doesn't make it any less or it doesn't make it like more okay or any less bad than anything else that's ever been said. There's just no, there should be no place. It's 2022. There should be no place for intolerance. No place. Yeah. No, nothing should dignify or give the light of day to a second side to a debate when it comes to race issues or anti-Semitism or something. There's only one side. And the people that take the other side that shouldn't exist should be punished and should be exiled from whatever they're part of or just blocked from it. And I think the NBA seriously needs to look into that. I know it's might be a big deal because Kyrie Irving's one of the most bankable stars in the NBA, but I don't think his stardom should protect him from suffering the consequences. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, you know, what hundred percent and, there's a lot of times when a situation becomes bigger than basketball and his entire uh, career, Kyrie has been able to, he's been hard to work with while he's created, you know, these media storms controversy, you know, he's just demonstrated really, in my opinion, a lack of self-awareness while claiming that he's the woke one. And, you know, he's been able to largely get away with this up to this point due to the fact that when he's on the court, he's a damn good basketball player. In sports leagues can be very quick to forgive, you know, if you're putting up 30 points a game and you're selling tickets. Like a lot of the times we'll see, you know, hey, you do your apology, you donate your money, you you put in some time and everybody's going to kind of forgive you. In my mind, this has gone too far. Kyrie might have just burned his last bridges in the NBA. From the reports that I'm seeing, Joe Sy, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, he no longer wants to be in the Kyrie business. He no longer wants to employ Kyrie Irving the problem is he's done so much damage to his reputation throughout the league that effectively he's become untradeable so then your option becomes do I just cut ties like and when we talk about sending home a guy like that where you're just saying hey effectively we're cutting you we are releasing you you are no longer a member of this team it's kind of unprecedented we haven't really seen a guy of that magnitude a star of that magnitude being cut like that so if Kyrie you know, doesn't take immediate ownership, which he haven't. He hasn't over these last few days where he's had a chance to talk to the media. He's just kind of skirted around it saying, you know, the the whole, the typical, I apologize if I offended. That's not an actual apology. Like mm-hmm. it's you trying to skirt blame and say, well, I didn't make the movie. Well, no, you didn't. But I also think you didn't even watch the movie. I think you're just out there using your platform and you screwed up. You made a mistake, but you're not owning what happened? So I think if he says all the correct things, he serves all his suspension, does all the groundwork to repair his image. If he doesn't do all those things, we may be looking at the end of Kyrie as a professional basketball player. I mean, and he would have no one else to blame besides himself in that situation. Cause at this point he's dug his own grave, even going back to the things that we kind of laughed at where we were talking about um, the flat earth thing where that was a big deal for him, where he was talking about the, the earth being flat in some ways, yeah, that, that's kind of harmless. It's like, oh, he believes this, but it is just spiraled to the point of where we're at now, where it just seems like time and time again, 
he's stepping in these situations. And it's almost like if he gets through this one, what's next? Like, do you really think he's going to just be perfect the rest of the year? He's in a con- This is all happening in a contract year. That When we talk about all these athletes, that's when they're their best behaved. They're in a contract year. They're trying to show whether it's a team that they're on or that next team that, hey, I'm worth this money and I'm responsible with this money that you're going to sign me with. But at this point, you know, I've been done with Kyrie for a while in a weird way. I do think his heart in a, in a strange way is in the right place. I do think he wants to bring people together, but he's just so buried in these controversies and the woke culture that he refuses to admit any sort of wrongdoing or take responsibility for the platform that he has and the misinformation that he continues to spread. So it, it is a strange situation for Kyrie. I don't see him just all of a sudden taking ownership of everything and just trying to move on from it. I think when Kyrie's backed into a corner, he tries to punch his way out of it. And I just think you got a meeting coming up with Adam Silver, and I just don't think this is going to be one you're going to be able to punch your your way out of. So if he doesn't take every step, we might be looking at the end of Kyrie as a professional basketball player, and it's weird to say. It's really weird I just, to say. I just want to point out Myers Leonard made an anti – he said an anti-Semitic yep. word on a uh, – it was a live stream of a like Twitch Call stream, of Duty I believe, or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hasn't played in the NBA since. And Absolutely. Myers Leonard by no means is anywhere close to the level of Kyrie. But realistically, I think Myers Leonard would still be in the NBA. Oh, he was a quality player. Oh, he was yeah. on Miami. I mean, obviously, I know he was a quality player, too. He was he was a good role player. But I agree with you. I mean, there's so, precedent. Yeah, so there's precedent. So if Myers Leonard is ba- essentially blackballed from the NBA, mm-hmm. I don't see why something about to that level should be done about Kyrie Irving. Yeah, because Kyrie Irving's consistently doubled down on everything. Exactly, and it, things like this are going to come un- unravel. By the time you guys are even hearing this, we will probably have new information as far as what's going on. But as we're recording this, kind of late Friday morning, that's where we're sitting at. But it doesn't end there with the Brooklyn Nets. There's another topic with those guys that we got to talk about, and that is just seemingly more dysfunction in this organization. And that was the firing of head coach Steve Nash, and what looks like the inevitable hiring of the Boston Celtics head coach, Ime Udoka. So, Jared, what do you think of Nash's firing and the hiring of a suspended coach in Udoka? Uh, firing Steve Nash is not going to fix this issue. Um, I don't know if he was the right coach for the Nets job. Mm-hmm. Um, it made sense at first because he was one of the greatest uh, players of a generation and a very well-liked player. So you Absolutely. think that as a leader in the locker room when he was um, – the Phoenix Suns point guard, you think he would kind of command the same respect from a lot of players that he actually went up against mm-hmm. um, for years because that Nets team had a lot of older players. <laughs> I guess you could say it's kind of weird saying that generation of young guys when Nash was on his way out is now the older generation, but that's kind of yeah. the reality we're in in 2022. Um, so you, you kind of thought Nash would be a good fit, and it turned out that the egos in Brooklyn, as we've seen, and as we've just talked about, have created an untenable situation for probably many coaches to where maybe Nash didn't have the personality. Whether or not Nash is a good or bad coach, um, it's too early to tell just because that Brooklyn situation is just so insane. I would like to see Nash have another chance somewhere else, but it was probably the best for both parties, especially Nash's case to part ways with Brooklyn. I mean, he didn't have a shot this year. KD was demanding for his firing yeah. in the off season. I, if you're betting on the first coach fired, that should have been a gimme. I mean, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm shocked that it, um, 
that he was fired this soon, to be yeah, honest. Seven I, games I, in, six games in or something like that. Yeah, yeah that that was that surprised me. <laughs> but um the Adoka side of this, it's it's very curious. We don't still we still don't have the complete full details of what happened in that situation with the Celtics on why he's still remaining with the organization, but they're suspending him for a whole year. Yeah. So we don't know to the degree that he was inappropriate with um, the female staffer that he had the um, alleged affair with. Uh, so it it kind of just adds fuel to this crazy net situation because for all we know, Adoka is it's just some weird Celtics policy that he violated, or maybe it was someone involved in the Celtics organization that is involved with somebody else. Who knows? And or it's he did something pretty bad yeah. um, that we'd see most coaches get fired and probably not let back in the NBA. We don't know. We don't know the full story. So just adding this wild card to the Nets organization, it just it adds to this insane soap opera we're watching. Now, but, um, outside stuff aside, Adoka as a head coach himself might be one of the few guys that can fix the situation in Brooklyn or at least try to hold it together because of his temperament. I mean, we kind of saw how his, like, no BS attitude kind of pulled the Celtics together in January mm-hmm. to where they went on that incredible run to destroy every argument Jace had against them last season. I was I was on the way <laughs> to a great one, man. I was on the way. Dude, it was looking good. Job not finished. Oh, man. So – um, it'll be interesting to see if this Nets team salvageable, whether Kyrie's on that team moving forward or not, whether KD demands another trade or not, um, whether Ben Simmons returns to Ben Simmons or not, which it's not looking good so far. Um, it's just this Nets situation's wild. I mean, I don't think comedy writers could write a better <laughs> script or storyline. Um, I, I definitely want a TV show spoofed like this in the um the winning time format someday because oh lord that yeah, is that'll be, be crazy something. no doubt about that and you know i thought personally it was pretty clear since day one that steve nash was kind of in over his head as far as the boston celtics or the boston Celtics, the brooklyn nets went i think he's a really smart basketball mind but i just think he's too nice of a guy to really give that team what they need and that's kind of a disciplinarian any true hard-nosed basketball coach. I think, you know, if he got another shot, a shot, I think it would have to be with kind of a younger team that has that kind of young core. Something to keep in mind if uh, the Detroit Pistons want to stick around with uh, Dwayne Casey, he might be a good fit there as far as those young guys with Kate Cunningham, Jalen Duran, and, and those guys, Jaden Ivey as well. Um, but to be honest, you know, looking at what's become of the Brooklyn Nets, I'm not sure there was a coach in the league that was going to have success with that roster. And especially with those personalities, everything they had to go through with, obviously, when you first put that core together, you know, KD was injured. Then you're dealing with, you know, you're trading for James Harden. You're dealing with the the vaccine situation. You're, you're dealing with so much stuff where you don't know who's going to be in practice. You don't know who's going to be on the court, who's making this road trip, who's not. I think Nash is kind of better served in an advisory role, you know, somewhere in the in the front office, helping teams really understand the game of basketball, because I know he really does. He's a really smart basketball mind. I don't think anybody's doubting that. I think it was an unfortunate situation for Nash, you know, given everything going on. But I think this might actually be a blessing for him. I think it's kind of a good separation. I don't think he needs to be there uh, dealing with the Brooklyn Nets situation. As for Udoka on a solely basketball side of things, he's a much better coach than Steve Nash. 
We all saw what he was able to do last year with the Boston Celtics, how he was able to get them to buy in defensively. I don't think anyone's going to argue that just from pure basketball standpoint, he's not an upgrade. I do question as far as we know what he was able to do with the Boston defensively. Also, I don't think Brooklyn has the type of players that could buy in that much defensively. You look at Boston, they had a lot of versatile defenders, a lot of wing guys, a lot of guys that were long, young, athletic. When I look at the Boston or the the Brooklyn roster, I don't necessarily see that. So while he can put his defensive scheme in there, I still I don't foresee this type of turnaround defensively for the, for the Brooklyn Nets just because I don't think they have the players for that. But what concerns me with this, you know, probable hire is that the Boston Celtics, they didn't ask for anything in return. Like they're, they're okay with kind of letting Edoka walk. They're okay with letting him go, which kind of tells me there's a lot more to this story than just this consensual relationship within the organization that we just don't know about yet. Um, how quickly all this has happened with him. It hasn't even been official yet, but I think everybody's kind of assuming it's going to be Adoka. That's the only name that we've heard as far as coming into to coach that team it kind of makes me wonder if the Nets have truly done their background check, like if they've truly vetted him as a head coach and looked into that situation behind the scenes because now that he's back being the face of an organization, I think we're going to get more information from what happened in Boston, and the Nets better be ready for that backlash, you know, whatever comes their way. And you're in New York. Like, they're going to be asking the, the media over there. They're not going to take it easy. They're going to be asking questions. They're going to be trying to figure out what happened in Boston. So this could get ugly with this new head coach and it could get ugly fast. So it's just, I agree with you. It's just kind of almost adding more fuel to the fire as far as what's going on in Brooklyn. And no one can really just focus on basketball. And that's kind of been the story since they formed that Katie Kyrie situation. It's just, they've never been able to just play basketball, focus on basketball and be a basketball team. So I'm, I'm kind of with you hundred percent. I think it's a good idea or it's a good thing in the end for Nash to move on, but, Udoka, I'm not sure was the answer. I think you might have just been better off. I mean, I think there's a lot of other quality coaches out there that could come in and try to resolve the situation and be an adult in the room. So I guess we'll just kind of have to see how that plays out there in Brooklyn. I can definitely see the Nets being a candidate by the end of the season if this circus continues of a team that should completely blow it up, trade 100%. or fire anyone associated trade KD. with this. Trade KD, trade Ben Simmons, trade... At anyone and oh, everyone man. just completely just well, yeah. restart. They, from the they have no draft picks moving forward, like because they've traded them all for James Harden. Essentially, the only way, like if you're just going to admit to yourselves, hey, this didn't work, the only way to get back good assets is to get rid and trade Kevin Durant. That's the only way. Like he's your most valuable, he's your only valuable asset because no one's trading for Kyrie and Ben Simmons. Who's trading for him? Like to get first round picks. You might have to trade KD, and KD said he wanted to be traded. So it'll be interesting, you know, as things move forward, what's going on with Brooklyn. But I'm with you 100%. It is for sure a shit show at this point. So moving from one side of the country to the other, let's talk a little bit about our uh, Los Angeles Lakers. We like to talk about them here on this podcast. They started off the season 0-5 before they were able to grab a couple back-to-back -back wins against the Nuggets and the Pelicans. For the last three games, Russell Westbrook has been coming in off the bench and serving as more of a six-man role on the end of things. They've looked a little bit more cohesive on that Lakers roster, just a little bit. But what do you think this – do you think this move will work for the long term, or is this just kind of a quick Band-Aid, let's get him off the court and get him in that six-man role? Um, I think 
Russ uh, coming off the bench is the best scenario for this Lakers team um, because obviously we know this Lakers team's depth is among the worst in the NBA. Um, they don't have a lot of NBA-ready guys, as I've said many times before. This is a G League roster outside of AD, LeBron, and Westbrook um, and a couple other guys in there. So having Westbrook come off the bench with that second unit definitely needed um, because he's always going to bring the energy, yeah. which is something you really want. And at the end of the day, Russ, what oh, can't talk. Russell Westbrook still has some good qualities that can help a team. Um, maybe it's not always helping the Lakers, especially when he's throwing up some of those shots that where oh, man. like it's so bad. It's hard to look away. You're um, sitting at home and you know it's not going in. Like exactly, no one knows. Yeah, like that. if you're the uh the team on the other side, your fan on the other side, you're feeling you're feeling pretty good every time shoot you shoot up and yeah. yeah, you feel pretty good. You're like, please shoot. Um, but yeah, that that's the best that this Lakers uh team is going to get out of Russ Westbrook in this whole situation, unless they trade him at a later point. Um, as for the Lakers themselves, I still don't think they're a contender. I think they're going to be trying to get into the play-in um the west like we've said before it's just it's gotten so much better and there are teams right now that are in positions where they're better than expected already look at the trailblazers hell even look at the four and four thunder Um, utah six and three utah of course i mean now some of those teams i'm not sure it can hold up um over the long term and i think the lakers will probably eventually pass them in the standings um because Danny Ainge is going to will it to happen through trades, I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's um, this Lakers team. It, it's just it's not viable long term. Yeah, AD's going to miss some time. He's already missed some time this year. LeBron's going to miss some time. It just happens when you're age 37, still playing at the high level that he's playing at. Because isn't he 39 now? He's 39, I think. No, uh, no, he's he's still 37. So are you sure? I, I'm pretty I sure. Right. Um. Let's see, he was born in 84. He's going to be 38 in December. Gotcha. Yeah, so, yeah, LeBron's going on 38. It's just, the the Lakers, it's just not going to work. You can't rely on Lonnie Walker to drop you off uh, 28 points, um, even though his jump shot <laughs> is, as he says, sexy, which that's got to be a great <laughs> quote. He's like, that his jump shot so se- is too sexy for the threes not to go in. Um, well, the threes aren't going in all the time, Lakers no. fans. So I'm just – don't get too excited. Yeah, you you have two wins finally. But remember, you started off 0-5, and oh, you yeah. have one of the best players that has ever played the game of basketball. Yeah. Russ, you know – oh, sorry. I didn't mean to – No, no. Right it's – yeah, oh. go ahead. Russ off the bench, you know, it's been a small sample size. Uh, it's been much better for the Lakers. Uh, in the first three games of the season he started, he was averaging basically 10-6-4. and four. But he was shooting 28% from the field. Mm. The Lakers were 0-3. In the three games off the bench, he's averaging 16, 7, and 6 while shooting 46% from the field. Lakers are 2-1. and one. So his his play has improved. He's been more efficient, which is really what you're looking for because as much as we dogged him last season, his numbers last season weren't terrible. It was just the efficiency. It was just the amount of times he needed the ball and the amount of shots he had to put up to get those numbers was really the problem for the Lakers. Just a lot of wasted possessions. But if we're being honest, you know, the eye test has looked much better in these last few games with Russ coming off the bench. He looks more comfortable. He can play a little more freely while kind of leading that second unit, which is what a lot of everybody was kind of saying, Hey, we got to move you to the bench because it's going to open you up for this. I think Russ's play has been better. It's led to a couple wins to start off the season. 
Um, but I think multiple things can be true at the same time. I think that is the better move, but I also still think the Lakers still need to trade Russell Westbrook. I don't think it just negates what we've been talking about pretty much for the last year. I think everybody around the league pretty much knows or hopefully knows what's going on with the Lakers front office, which let's be honest, we don't know much about the Lakers front office because they are horribly run. I've been on the record as far as that goes. I think they're just hoping that a better trade is going to become available than that Pacers one that we've heard about for pretty much the last 12 months. Um, I think there is a possibility that another one opens up. We've heard maybe with Charlotte, with Terry Rozier um, and uh, Gordon Hayward over there. Some people at the beginning of the season thought maybe Portland, but Portland has been playing really well. Uh, maybe the Jazz decide, you know, they've been winning too much, like you said, and trade off some of those guys. Maybe like you're talking Jordan Clarkson. Heck, maybe even Laurie Markin at this point is playing himself. We'll see how kind of that works out. But some of these guys, you know, or maybe Utah tries to get their, their self back into that Victor watch. So whether Russ is there or not, I think we we're kind of both on the same page that he's not the entirety of the problem on that roster. We all know they have no shooting. I mean, we saw Matt Ryan was in there the other night making the game-tying three to send the game to overtime. Matt Ryan is only on the team because he can make a spot-up jumper. That's the only reason why he's in the NBA. He was an Uber driver two years ago. He was an Uber driver. That was a great shot. I mean, he hit a great shot. I mean, fantastic. It's what he's on the floor to do. But, you know, you you just kind of have to add in to what this team looks like. You're going to have to add in some sort of injury break coming up for AD. Seems like he's grabbing his back every single time he's going up and down the court. LeBron's been okay, but he's currently going through, you know, a pretty good shooting slump to start off the season, which we've seen LeBron. He's, you know, LeBron for his career will average, I think it's around like 32, 33 per point or percent from three. But LeBron is a streaky shooter. He'll go through months where he's going to shoot 25%. He'll go through months where he's going to be hot and shooting 42%. It's going to average out there in the middle. Right now, he's having a bad shooting slump. So was, I, I, have a, I think that'll come back down to earth a little bit. He's still giving you more as far as he's still rebounding the ball really well for his age. And also, he's passing the ball as well. And obviously, with LeBron on the floor, he's going to be drawing in attention, whether he's scoring 20 points or 40. But he's been okay to start this season. I think if you're looking for a bright spot for these Lakers, they've looked really good on the defensive end so far this season. I think Darvin Ham is coaching them up on the defensive side, and we're seeing kind of his effect, kind of the difference between Frank Bogle moving into this season. I think the Lakers are right now what everybody kind of thinks they are, and they're a very mediocre to below average team in the Western Conference, and that's what they're going to be like. I don't think a rush trade fixes that. I do think there are some rush trades that can make them more cohesive as a team but nothing's going to shoot them to the top of the the playoff standings in the Western Conference. I think their their goal is they're trying to they'll try to correct the roster what they can, maybe be in the buyout market, get some shooting, and they're just going to be hoping to get to the playoffs and then saying, "Hey, if AD's healthy and we have LeBron, anything can happen." So I think that's kind of the only hope they have for the season at this point. And if that's not what they're hoping for, I don't know what the Lakers front office is doing, which I never know what the Lakers front office is doing. So we'll kind of see how all that ends up, but. Moving from a uh, pretty bad team to a uh, so far a pretty good team. So, Jared, I think it's time to say the Cleveland Cavaliers are a really good basketball team. Uh, they've made one of the big moves of the offseason. They went out, they got Donovan Mitchell, flood them to a six and one start. They currently sit at second in the Eastern Conference, just behind those undefeated Bucks. You had the Cavs as your seventh seed. I went back and looked. I may have even underrated them as my fourth seed. What do you make of their season so far? Um, well, I was definitely open to the idea that the Cavs would be better than where I placed them, yeah. even though it just I just hurt to put them ahead of the Bulls, so I didn't. 
Um, that's my Cleveland anti-Cleveland bias. By the way, we still beat you in the World Series, 2016. <laughs> Happy six years. Um, anyway, moving back to basketball, the better sport. Uh, the Cavs probably have their first legitimate team since 1993 um, without LeBron James. Okay, and that's very important because this franchise ever since 2010 has lived in the shadow of LeBron James Absolutely. hasn't been able to get out of that. I mean, those Kyrie led teams struggled to try to get to 30 wins before LeBron came back in the summer of 2014. And then he left them again and it was another shadow cast over the franchise. Well, JD Bickerstaff has brought life to that, or he's brought light to yep. that situation. The shadow of LeBron is starting to fade as this team is starting to find its own identity, this franchise might have a real team here that could compete in the East, um, to my dismay, of course. But <laughs> Cleveland fans, you might have a team that might kind of ease the pain of LeBron leaving you twice. Oh, yeah. No, they've looked really good throughout this season. And, you know, I thought they were going to be a good team. I don't think a lot of people expected this type of start. I mean, their only loss this season was their first game of the season. They lost by three points to the Toronto Raptors. Since then, they've wins. They've they've won every game since then. But really, the most impressive part of this run is two of their last three. They've beaten the Boston Celtics in overtime, and Boston Celtics are still a really good team out there. Donovan Mitchell is just playing out of his mind. I mean, he's averaging thirty one points a game, forty eight percent shooting, forty three percent from the three point line, and he's averaging just over seven assists as well. I mean, this is what you were looking for when you went out and you made that move. We know what Donovan Mitchell is on the offensive side. Dude is a bucket, and they needed a guy who was a bucket, and I thought the team defense was going to be enough to make up for what he lacked on the defensive side of things. And so far, it's working out that way. You add that type of scoring and efficiency to a team who last year played incredibly. They were still very young. They're only going to get better as they continue to play together. This team is scary. You know, I just think, like, every other team in the league that, you know, just like every other team in the league, I still think they're a tough matchup against Milwaukee with Giannis because, let's be honest, he's the best player in the league. I think they have some big bodies that can throw at him to try to slow them down, thinking of kind of prime LeBron. You just try to throw multiple bodies at him just to physically try to wear him down as much as you can. But if I'm a Cleveland fan, I'm looking around the Eastern Conference, I'm feeling pretty good about my team matching up against pretty much everybody else in that conference. Even my Miami Heat, they've struggled a little bit to start the season as well. I'm liking how my team would match up against them. And I agree with you, under Coach Baker's staff, this team is young. They're only going to get better as they continue to go through. As long as they stay healthy, they may, may be in for a pretty long playoff run just this season. So last year, I think we both said they were a team to keep your eye on, and they're not sneaking up on anybody right now. They are ready to go. So Cleveland is putting together a really nice start to the season. We'll have to see how things kind of pay out. But as far as surprises go, Jared, I want to move on to now. It's still very early on in the season, but I thought it would be a good idea to kind of run through a few guys that have really jumped out and surprised us here in the first couple of weeks of the season with their play. So I believe we both pick about, we picked three of these guys. So I'm going to go ahead and you just kind of give me your three biggest surprises so far to start this season. All right. Do you want me to give you like my three guys and like rattle off a little thing about yeah. them? Or? Yeah. 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 Right. Just so why you picked them. My first one uh, has a little asterisk where it's actually, it's a package deal because they were, these were two guys I was concerned about coming into the season and they've been a revelation for the Chicago Bulls. I have Goran Dragic and Andre Drummond. Now, these guys are both coming off the bench, and they couldn't have been any better than what I could have hoped for. Um, Goran Dragic in 17 minutes per game is averaging 9.4 points, 
3.6 assists on 50, 3.6% shooting from the three-point line. And that's on over three attempts per game. So that 36-minute stat line looks very good. Now, Goran Dragic has been awesome. He's pushing the pace for Chicago Bulls, which that second unit desperately needs. He's basically what Bulls fans have always wanted Kobe White to be. So when, (laughs) when, when Lonzo Ball comes back, hopefully Kobe White is kicked to the end of the bench and Goran Dragic takes that spot that Kobe White would have been filling um, like he did last season. Um, Andre Drummond is averaging nine points per game with 10 boards off the bench, including 3.5 offensive rebounds. Something the Chicago Bulls struggled with was rebounding last season. Sure, he's not going to be your classic rim protector that you would like, although he does try to put some effort in um, because the Bulls' interior defense this year has been terrible. Uh, But Drummond has been great. Um, He has a season high, I think, 14 rebounds in one game. I've loved what I've seen for Drummond. Still, he has some moments where I kind of cringe, but uh, I have Goran Dragic and Andre Drummond as my first player. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm just gonna, you can you can run through all three. Oh, years. you want me to? Yeah, run we'll just do all, all right. three years and then all three of mine. All right. So my second player, and this has been a pleasant surprise, Damian Lillard. Um, yeah. I watched that first game against the Kings, and while the Blazers looked good and Shaden Sharp looked good. Lillard did not. He looked a step slow, and I was really concerned early. You've heard on, I'm sure, other podcasts around that time, like a lot of people concerned about Damian Lillard, stuff like that. And then since then, he's been on a tear. Damian Lillard looks like Dame of old. He's averaging around 30 points per game this season. Uh, That Portland Trailblazers team is outkicking their coverage. They look really good. Um and it's all it all goes back to Dame. Like he's been thrown around in trade talks prior to the start of the season because we didn't know which way this Portland uh, way was going to fall. And this tree is still standing upright. And Damian Lillard is the roots. Yeah. Um. I, Him and I, Simons. I, yeah, Simons has been awesome <laughs> this season too. Um. Definitely, I thought about putting him on my list, but I didn't want to do two Portland players. No, I got gotcha. you. Um, so yeah, Damian Lillard. I'm happy to have you back, man. One of my favorite players to watch. My third and final player is Shea Gilgis Alexander, and that four and four Thunder team is a big reason why they're four and four. Um, this guy, he's averaging about thirty-one points per game. He's looked great. Um, I'm gonna have to start putting Thunder on more of my league pass watches because uh, I, this was a team I didn't expect to watch too many games of, but now I'm I'm gonna have to start changing that yeah. uh, that mindset, that way of thinking because Oklahoma City might have a legitimate superstar in the making. So congrats, Oklahoma City, because not a lot goes on out there. And personally, if it wasn't for Shea, I would be demanding for your franchise to move back to Seattle. I mean, it should anyway, but <laughs> does someone give Seattle a franchise? That's aside the point. Those are your three surprises early on in the season, and there's a little bit of crossover into mine. Not too much, though. I'm going to start off with my number one surprise, and that is one who made an appearance on your list. That's Shea Gilgis-Alexander, man. This guy is an all-star, and he's been stuck on a bad team his entire career. He's averaging 32.2 points per game, 4.7 rebounds, 6.3 assists, and how about 2.4 steals a game for Shea Gilgis-Alexander? Shooting 54% from the field, 31% from three, 
98% from the free throw line. He's been nothing short of amazing. He's carrying that Thunders team to a four and four record, which isn't all that impressive, but for the Oklahoma City Thunder, where we thought they were going to be, it's pretty good as far as eight games into the season. I, I, I like that. Exactly. Better better than most thought. SGA needs some credit, man. It's It's been my biggest surprise so far this season, and we've seen him take steps year after year, and he's just one of those guys where we're like, just wait until he gets a team because he can really be a star in this league. And I think he might be getting there. It kind of sucks that Chet's going to be out the whole season. We're not going to get to see any sort of potential, but that hey, you never fun. know. Hey, you never know where things are going to go. But he has been my biggest surprise of the season so far. My number two biggest surprise has been my man, Cade Cunningham. I told you, I'm a huge fan of this guy. I think he's everything that we thought Ben Simmons was going to be when he came into this league. The kind of long, oversized point guard who's a great passer, but the difference is Cade can actually score the basketball. He's putting up 21.7 points per game, 6.1 rebounds, 6.4 assists. So 21-6-6, and shooting 44% from the field, 28% from three. That's a little bit lower. That's going to come up a little bit. 85% from the three-point or free throw line. The shooting is going to continue to get better, but my man has been on a tear to start this season. Deserves a little bit of credit, no doubt, and especially those numbers. He started off his first couple of games were a little bit slow, so really over those last four to five games, he's averaging more like 25 points per game, starting to bring those averages up, and he is just he's the focal point of this offense for Detroit. I think they're going to get better. They're still very, very young. There's still a lot of guys with a lot of things to prove. But so far this season, I am loving what I'm seeing out of Cade Cunningham as kind of that athletic, oversized point guard that we thought Ben Simmons was going to be. So I am all in on Cade at my number two. For my third biggest surprise of the season, give me Pascal Siakam. You know, you could tell this man put in the work in the offseason, and it's showing early on. He's giving you 25, 9, and 8 this, this season. He's shooting 47, 36, and 73. So if you look across the board for 2022, he's basically giving you what LeBron James numbers are. And he's for someone who a lot of the times is an afterthought in the Eastern conference, I'm going to give him some props. Obviously we know LeBron has had better starts of the season. This isn't anything crazy as far as statistics are for LeBron, but for Pascal Siakam to give you 25, nine and eight, he's basically almost up there in triple double watch every single night. He just, I mean, from his position being how long he is on the, just to give you eight assists a game, it's pretty impressive in my opinion as far as Pascal mm-hmm. Siakam, and he's been really good for those Toronto Raptors who we didn't think was going to be a really good team, and we just think they have a lot of solid players, and Pascal Siakam to me is is probably the best player on that roster. So I'm going with SGA, Cade Cunningham, and Pascal Siakam as my three. There's a lot of guys, when you start to look at all the stats and everything, kind of look where everybody's falling, there's a lot of guys I'm sure you saw too that you could have put as your surprise of the season. I mean – Luka Doncic is averaging like 37 points per game or something like that at this point. I, I I thought about putting him in there. You know, my preseason prediction of him as MVP so far is looking like it very well might come through. This could be the year of Luka. So that's that's what we got as far as surprises for this season. But now it's time to move on to our favorite topic on the TM Up podcast. And that is, of course, TM Up. So, Jared, who is getting your technical foul this week? Who are you handing out to? I'm handing it out to, uh, to Nate Green. Um, and 99% of you out there probably don't know who that man is. And I also shouldn't know who that man is. (laughs) But after the Bulls game two nights ago, I made it my mission to find out what that man's name was. But it didn't take long because uh, Stacey King and Adam Amin said his name on the broadcast. I'm like, all right. Well, 
Nate Green, for your information, is a ref with the NBA. And uh, typically, unless someone is like Scott Foster or uh, somebody like that, I shouldn't know your name otherwise. Like, we all know, like, the refs that are just notorious because they've been in the league forever or they've stopped Chris Paul from winning games or whatever (laughs) else. But I shouldn't know, like, a dude that's been refing for, like, less than 10 years. But, Nate Green, I do know your name because you're contributing to the longtime trend that is Zach Levine not getting calls when he's at the rim. Now, Zach Levine is one of those guys that is we all know is very exciting around the rim. He drives a lot. He gives us some exciting slam dunks. But there's, for some reason, he never gets the calls. Now, typically, superstars and all-stars get the benefit of doubt oftentimes. But Zach Levine consistently, for the last several years, is not one of those players that are in that fraternity of guys that just get calls. And Nate Green, who was the baseline ref during that game several times, and even when he was uh, when the Hornets were driving and there were some fouls, he wasn't calling them for the Hornets. Um, to where uh, the ref at the half court line one of the times called a late whistle because Nate Green did not blow his whistle. Now, if you're the baseline ref, it's embarrassing if the ref at half court is the one blowing his whistle to make the call because you're not. Now. You need to respect – this is more so just to respect Zach Levine a, a little more. But, <laughs> Nate Green, you're you're just – you you're who I have in my vision right now, man. Just be better <laughs> because so many refs aren't, and you were exceptionally bad. I, I just had to make a comment because I think it was Tony Brothers was the ref that called it at half court. Like, Tony Brothers shouldn't be making your calls, bro. Uh, we'll just add that to the list of the amount of times we've handed up a, handed out a technical foul to refs in the NBA. Yeah. I think they're probably I, if you lump them all together, they got to be leading our our, our leader. I, I usually don't name them though. No? I usually don't. I just say no. the refs at that one game. But no, Nate Green, you have the honor today, my friend. Actually, you're not my friend. I don't, I don't really <laughs> like NBA refs for the most part. Just respect Zach Levine. Team up. I like it. I like it, man. My my technical foul is going to be a little bit different this week. It is. Uh, I'm. Handing it out, not because they did something wrong, but because it's more of a motivational piece. Oh. Um, I'm handing out a motivational technical foul to the Golden State Warriors, just the entire oh, Okay, yeah. What are you doing, man? I mean, you're three and six coming off this championship, a team that literally has an entire lineup of the younger version of their stars coming in off the bench. You kind of look at them, they match up all the talk, all the drama. All of the smack talk, you know, you're, you're you're holding up the four rings to Devin Booker, you know, walking off the court, getting kicked off of your Clay Thompson, just everything that can go into just kind of what made people hate the Golden State Warriors was kind of that cockiness, you know, Steph Curry doing the shimmy and all that, and it's like you had a couple down years where people are like, oh, you know what, it's over with. I kind of feel bad for him. Everybody's getting hurt. And then you come back and win the championship next year, and you look at this roster, and you're like man, these guys are setting themselves up for another run. It's not just going to be a one and done. Now you're three and six. You have one more win than the sorry Los Angeles Lakers right now. Like, it's just, you got one more win. That's all it is. I mean, after tonight, if the Lakers win, I don't know if you guys play tonight, you guys could have the same record as the Lakers who were talking about how bad they are, which they are bad. But you got to kick it into gear at some point. I know you're going to, but it's just... 
so far it's been an embarrassing start to the season for a team that had a lot of hype. I think we both had them as was it number one or number two? I, I had them uh, number two. I think we and both had them at number two. My, my first clip, uh, my first pick was the Clippers. Yeah, which, uh, that yeah, is I also Cl- not I looking Cl- great. We were the same at the top. We had Clippers, and then we yeah, and. I- I got to give credit to the Phoenix Suns. I thought the Phoenix Suns were going to drop off. They're sitting there at six and one. There's a lot of teams that have gotten off to great starts. I knew. And the Golden State Warriors, they just have it. They just don't look to be playing that well together. They don't have that chemistry that you expect from the Golden State Warriors. And I got to give out, it's a motivational technical foul this week, but got to get it going because in this Western Conference, it can get late early and you got to get going. That's what we talk about with these Lakers. You cannot... You're trying to stay afloat before they make that Russell Westbrook trade. You cannot fall too far behind because then these teams, they're going to learn how to play against you even more as the season goes on. Their younger players are going to get better. They're going to get more confident, and they're just going to get too much ground up above you. It's going to be hard to fight your way back up. So technical foul to the Golden State Warriors this week, and that's who I'm handing mine out to. But this was a fun one, man. There was a lot of things to get to, a lot of Brooklyn Nets, a lot of Kyrie Irving talk. Obviously, we got to get some Lakers in there as well. Cavaliers, some early season surprises. So this was a really good episode. And we want to thank you guys all for listening and join and join and listening and following along here on this episode. Be sure to check us out on all of the social media platforms throughout the week for some fun NBA content as things come out. Thank you guys all for listening. We'll be sure to catch you guys next time. And remember, it might be better to be a Knicks fan right now. (laughs) 